Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, Bill, don't panic. We know you normally sing that song, um, but it goes with the lesson today, so just to let you know. You're okay. Good, 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 good. Well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 11. And uh, as I started to do this morning, I want to welcome everybody here with us. Uh, and, and what we're doing, visiting with us today, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And it's just really exciting because each week we, we, we take the writer and the, the way he writes and the style of writing and he points us not just to the stories but, but the way he writes to show us something that's greater and deeper uh, and, and what is for us in our own lives. So here in Mark chapter 11, I want to start off with telling you about one of my favorite all-time movies. It's The Lord of the Rings. Yes, I like Star Wars and I like Lord of the Rings. I'm a nerd. It's okay. But The Lord of the Rings, if you know the story, it begins with the history behind this ring. And it's when this dark lord, Sarion, and he pours his evil and his will to dominate the world into this ring. And, and it creates this evil, of course, and, and all these other things. Well, Dark Lord Sarion, he was killed, and then much later on, the ring is found. And then this evil is released again. And when it is, then there's this, this great battle between good versus evil. Uh, and, and so the last movie, is, which is called The Return of the King. It centers around what a once great kingdom had been, but its, its kings had been poisoned by this ring centuries before. And so the king, the line of those kings were gone, but there was a family that stepped up and they kind of were caretakers of this kingdom until finally one in the line of that king, those kings would rise up. And there was none greater than this very time, and it was... Aragon. If you haven't seen the movie by now, well, you may not ever see it. But anyway, uh, a lot of spoiler alerts in here. But anyway, so, you know, he is the one who comes from those lines and he steps up and all of Middle Earth is dependent upon him to destroy this evil. And spoiler alert for sure, he does. The, the, the ring is destroyed and evil is destroyed. And and these, these evil armies are destroyed. And finally, there's justice and peace that reigns throughout the kingdom. And Argon is crowned king of the West. And it's great. It's a great movie. Great trilogy, actually. And our text this morning reminds me a lot of a little bit of how all of this goes. My understanding is Lord of the Rings was kind of based on some of the, what we find here in the Gospels. But here we get this feel that evil dominated the world. And it dominated and had dominated the world since Genesis chapter 3. Since the fall of humanity. And God made this choice to, to bring forth uh, this family that would bring, bring the chosen one into the world to destroy evil. And they became a great kingdom. And they became kings. And these kings were poisoned by the fall of humanity. Even its greatest king, King David, turns out to be a terrible sinner. And eventually they're carted off into captivity. Their kings are completely done away with. 
they become slaves and servants to these, these lesser or evil empires of the world. And, but they were waiting. They were waiting for this king who would rise up from the line of David, who would overturn evil forever, who would finally bring peace and justice to the land. And that's where we are. The prophets hinted of the time when this king was coming. If you were in Bible class, we dealt much more with these prophecies because they are so big. They're so big. Over the last couple of months, we have been um, going with Jesus as he's marching to Jerusalem. You remember all of this. And now, they, last week, we finished looking at the second section of the Gospel of Mark. They are on the road. The last person who is, joins them is Bartimaeus, a blind man who is healed, who called out to the son of David. And they march to Jerusalem. And here's where we pick up as we begin this brand new section in the Gospel of Mark. If you see, look with me in Mark chapter 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside of the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Are you seeing this? Jesus and the great crowd, they have come to the Mount of Olives. Jericho is the lowest city on the earth. It is 800 feet below sea level. Then we have Jerusalem, only 15 miles away. And it is 2,600 feet above sea level. You can just imagine as these pilgrims are coming into this land and they come up from Jericho after this long, hot, difficult, you know, walk up this steep, this steep hill and they finally come up and over and they're able to see the holy city. The city where God has placed his name and his presence. And it's almost Passover time. In fact, all of this is going to be centered around this idea of this Passover. It's almost Passover, and it's it centered around these ancient stories of, of freedom and hope. Jews came from all over, singing and praying and 
feasting and dancing. And the Son of God, with all of that going on, with this great crowd who has followed him, he stages his entrance into Jerusalem. You see this. Jesus rides into the place where many of its kings had reigned. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is riding? Everything about this says that the king has returned. One prophecy, whoops, that shows you the elevation. <laughs> One prophecy comes from Zechariah chapter 9. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion, which is Jerusalem. He says, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he? Okay, he's coming with salvation. He's coming to Jerusalem. And notice, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's prophecy. Zechariah prophesied. And, and then they roll out the red carpet. Did you see that? They take their cloaks off. You don't just take your cloak off and put it on the dirty ground for anything or anybody, even people that you really care about. You do that for kings. And they're taking these leafy branches, is the way Mark translates it here, and they're putting them along the roads. Everything about this, folks, is saying that the king has come. The, the long-awaited one. And they, they are calling out and rejoicing in Jesus. They say, Hosanna. We sang that just now. It, what that word means, in he, it's a Hebrew word. And it means, save us, I pray. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who's coming uh, who blesses the coming kingdom of our father, David. You, you see the anticipation that's being built. The son of David. He's coming to Jerusalem. The one they have been anticipating. They're giving him praise. All of these details. And in class, we talked about these much more and saw where they come from and everything else. This is a kingly descent into Jerusalem. And so we've been building up. The whole last section, Act 2 of Gospel of Mark, is Jesus coming to Jerusalem. And now he's up on the Mount of Olives and he is coming down. And now we're ready for verse 11. Are you ready? This is it. And he entered Jerusalem. Yes. And he went into the temple. Just what we expected. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's it. <laughs> it's very anticlimactic. Everything's been leading up to this. And suddenly, what do we find? Jesus finally gets there. He comes in. He looks around. He checks the time. Or as I said in class, the sundial. And then he heads back two miles back to Bethany where he's staying. It's like, well, what's going on here? I mean, Mark has raised our expectations. Mark, who doesn't give us lots of details, gave us lots of details in, the, in these first ten verses. Does he not? But he doesn't. We expect something big to happen, but it doesn't happen. 
The crowds have disappeared as mysteriously as they gathered. Where are they? A 400-year-old prophecy has been fulfilled. Where's the grand entrance that Ezekiel spoke about? Where he said, they, had, they led me to the gate, the gate facing east. And by the way, east is facing towards the Mount of Olives. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. That's where Jesus has come. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But we don't read that here in verse 11 of our text. And do you notice how it keeps talking about the east? And those of you who, uh, I've mentioned this in a blog a few while, a while back. But going east, east is very important in the Old Testament. It starts all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And those who go east are those who are going away from God's land. They're going away from God's presence. They're going to a place where their hopes are ruined. We see that when they left the garden. They go east. Sodom, they go east. Babylon, they come from the east. But when we see someone is coming from the east, it is symbolic of redemption and restoration that is about to come. Jesus is coming from the east because God's presence comes from the Mount of Olives and is coming into Jerusalem and into the temple. Folks, they lost the Ark of the Covenant in Babylon. They have not recovered it. We still don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is. Oh, there's lots of people who say, well, we think we've got the Ark of the Covenant. We don't know where it went. And so here's this temple when we, we come to Jesus' time that Jesus comes through. The Ark of the Covenant is not there. And we, the reason we've mentioned the Ark of the Covenant is that is the symbolism. That was the great symbolism of the very presence of God. And now Jesus has come from the east. The presence of God has returned to the temple. So why is Mark's gospel so deflating? Jesus has not come to the temple to reign. Jesus has come to the temple this day to inspect it. This is the first clue that the temple that is there is not the temple in which Jesus will dwell, in which God will dwell. The kingdom of God is coming. And the kingdom of God that has been spoken about, it is an eternal kingdom. The problem is they were looking for another kingdom, and they refer to it as the kingdom of David, and they were thinking of it as a nationalistic, a political kingdom. Now, they were right in that, yes, through the line of David... And we know how important it is because we're given a genealogy that traces it back to make sure that we get it in other Gospels. He comes through the line of David. But they were expecting Jesus to reestablish a physical, political kingdom as they had had in the time of David and Solomon. But Jesus has not come like a king in the Lord of the Rings. 
He does not come bearing a physical sword. He does not come gathering up an army to, to defeat the forces of evil. He isn't entering Jerusalem with the spoils of war or with a trail of prisoners behind him. The Messiah King will be crowned, but he will be crowned with thorns. He will be enthroned on a cross that we will see. The entrance points to a different kind of triumph. And the triumph that Jesus brings and as he rides into the holy city, it is one that will be greater than the triumphs of all the kingdoms and all of the kings of Israel combined. It will reach beyond the borders of Israel. It will reach beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. Those who are going to be serving on the Lord's Supper, go ahead and go on out. We're going to, um, getting ready to, to take the bread and the cup. I think this is an appropriate time to do this as we, we think about the bread and the cup of Christ. I want us to remember this coronation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and just exactly what this meant. We come not shouting Hosanna, but we're thankful for the Hosanna. We're thankful that he has saved us because he has saved us, all of those who have come and they have submitted to Jesus and his reign before us. This is not a funeral that we're getting ready to partake in. It is a family feast. We just enjoyed Thanksgiving. We just enjoyed a time of where we, we sit around a table and we shared this meal together with these, these people who have something in common. And here we are at the table of Christ once again, and it symbolizes to us this time of remembering as we share as a family of God. That's what communion is all about. This whole idea of communion comes from something Jesus instituted around a table during the Passover meal, a meal that represented celebration of hope, a celebration of freedom. And so we too, we come, and this bread celebrates the life of the king and the life that the king gave his life for us so that we can all sit at this table together. And what I believe the New Testament teaches us is that the king comes at this time and he joins us at the table. He joins us as we share together in the breaking of this bread, as we remember the great sacrifice that he made to free us, to save us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the life that he lived and the life that we could not live. And Father, that he sacrificially gave himself for us. And Father, we thank you that your son loves us and has joined us here in this very moment. 
as we remember the sacrifice that he has made. And we remember, Father, that you gave your son to us as a gift, a wonderful, blessed, free gift. We now come in reverence to you as we partake this bread. In Jesus' name, amen.